It demands that we tell sinners the whole truth. We will not go quietly into the night. Christian Cornerstone Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our next episode where we go over the doctrine of grace. Now, before we get into this, I want to give you a quick reminder. If you enjoy these broadcasts, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to let us know. Facebook comments, Facebook Messenger. Get a hold of us on our website at christiancornerstone.org. Uh, also, if you enjoy these broadcasts, please do consider liking, subscribing, sharing, and even financially supporting this ministry. Your finances will help to offset the existing costs, and it will go towards uh, future goals in which we hope to meet as this ministry continues to grow. So uh, today we get into the big question. Uh, this is something we've seen uh, really on the internet the past couple of weeks. Did Jesus, in fact, die for the entire world, or did he die for a select group. In other words, did he die for all or did Jesus die for many? And again, joining me today is Mr. Byron Gilroy. Byron, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to be back. Yeah. I always look forward to the, the Wednesday Wednesday yeah. broadcast. Yeah, and you know what? There's sometimes uh, I was thinking about this honestly before we even before we even connected is uh, the hour long that we uh, discuss. I mean, it seems like we got a lot to discuss, uh, and I think uh, compared to our first. Uh, to uh, first couple broadcasts, I've really slimmed down on my notes, um, so I think that's kind of helpful. But uh, you know, plus side, it's not too warm in this house today. I actually got the AC going on, uh, flowing that's perfectly. Good. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad you're comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, without further, you know, without getting into this anymore, uh, we can get into this uh, this uh, discussion, raising the big question. I'm going to actually let you go first. I think I've kind of stole the thunder of the past uh, past couple days. Or past couple uh, weeks, actually. So uh, the biggest question uh, you're going to have to answer here is, who did Jesus die for? I, we've really seen, like I've seen billboards online anyways, Facebook pictures, pictures mm -hmm. of all sorts, saying that um, Jesus, uh, in a nutshell, you know, he, he, he this whole uh, Black Lives Matter thing, I think it was influenced by that, but uh, mm -hmm. Jesus died for all lives because all lives matter. Um, now that is absolutely true. All lives do matter, but really the the subtle theology that's in those claims is really saying Jesus died for everybody that's ever existed. So right. I'm going to make that claim out there that he did in fact do that, and uh, feel free to go ahead and respond. Yeah, no, I totally agree that um, that he uh, he only died for some. Uh, that is why we talked about unconditional election uh, before uh, we talked about um, limited atonement or as uh, I, I would prefer to, to call it particular redemption particular redemption that is that there were some that Christ died for and others he did not mm -hmm. uh, so one of the first things that we need to <clears throat> we need to understand is that election election does not <coughs> excuse me election does uh, does not save anyone okay election happens before um, before redemption um, so you can be elect and be unsaved huh. that, that'll blow some people's minds um, because um, in order to 
in order to be saved, uh, one has to be uh, drawn to him uh, and acknowledge that he is that he is Lord. In other words, the uh, regeneration regeneration happens, meaning your spirit is quickened, uh, your heart is quickened in order to have faith. Right. Uh, so the fact that you had faith. Uh, is is God enabling you uh, to have faith? So that has to that has to happen before you are saved. An election, like we said last time, happens happened before the beginning of before the foundations of the earth. Uh, so just election is not equivalent to salvation. Uh, those that are chosen by the Father. And given to the Son, uh, have to be redeemed. Now, their redemption, uh, their redemption, Jesus Christ, uh, took place as as you and I both know. Took place when Jesus came into the world, took on human flesh, became a man, being a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man, lived a perfect life died, was buried, and bodily rose from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father. That, folks, is the gospel. It is believing on that that saves you. Uh, it is not your election. Um, but it is only through the gospel that you are actually saved. Right. So, the question... Uh, that follows this, did Jesus save, um, or did Jesus die for all? The actual question is, did Jesus actually save? Did Jesus actually save? Because the, it, it's not a matter of the, um, it's not a matter of the extent of the atonement. It's the effect of the atonement, right? So, um, so the Arminian, uh, the Arminian would say uh, that that Christ died for uh, made made it possible for everybody to be saved. So he opened up the gateway, death. according to them. Then, correct. He okay. opened up the gateway for them to be saved, and then it is uh, within themselves that they need to either reject or accept. Right now. We talked about this before the show. If you are going to say that, to be logically consistent, um, and don't let the Arminians fool you, they say that they don't limit the atonement, uh, but but they do. Um, but to be logically consistent, they you have to be a universalist. That is what that opens up. Right. Is that all men... Uh, Christ died for all, and all can be saved. That is universalism. Uh, now they will they will not admit that because they know they can't go there. Um, so the the question then, if you're not going to go there, the the question is, well, then what happens? Does Jesus actually save? Um, and so those are my that's that's my my opening remark uh, because the 
we need to dis we definitely need to discuss um, that question. What what was accomplished uh, on the cross, and was it Jesus on the cross that saved, or was it something else? Right. Well, and let me know your thoughts on this. I haven't really talked to anybody about this theory, um, and I, I personally uh, haven't really come across anything yet um, that could confirm or deny this. Uh, what I'm seeing here, and you can see this, I believe, in uh, Hebrews 11, if I remember my chapters correctly, um, that is, by faith, we are saved. Abraham mm -hmm. himself, he lived by faith, and his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Yes. Now, uh, so, specifically, uh, I don't know how I want to say this, I would say on worldly standards, it's not... Um, it's going to come off as heretical, but uh, bear with me. I'm going to try to explain this a little bit better. The... Trusting in Jesus uh, is not specifically the way in which we're saved, in which we're redeemed. Now, before you freak out here, let me explain this. Yeah. And, um, okay, so if we're saved by faith, if, if, if our faith is counted to us as a righteousness, and faith, obviously, we know is a gift from God, uh, Ephesians, I want to say 4, 8, um, what I see here, the purpose of the cross, because before Christ came on the scenes, there obviously was no death on the cross, at least, you know, by God, but there was no God dying on the cross. Um, and yet we're still seeing people all throughout the Old Testament who are being saved, who are being redeemed. Mm -hmm. Now, these men and women were all saved because of their faith. Uh, it was in the faith in who God is and what he has accomplished, what he will accomplish, and more specifically, the promise in which he laid out to, you know, bring his uh, people, to save his people. So, to an extent, uh, yes, the Old Testament uh, believers did trust in Jesus. Um, but, and I, I don't really feel as I'm explaining this correctly here, as, as much as I'm trying to articulate it anyways, um... It seems to me that the specifically the death on the cross was simply because in God's perfection he demanded that there be a payment for that sin. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I mean, that's, it's kind of obvious to think about but as far as the cross goes, but as that's the only thing I see with the cross. There is nothing more to it than... God demanded a payment. Uh, am I making sense here? Because I feel like I'm not. I feel like I'm kind of... Um, I don't so the cross was the way that... Uh, the way that God chose that the payment would be made right. by his son. Right? Um, right. So, because of the cross being that, that way, that it is... Uh, it is also the cross is also the the real image that's that God crushed Christ um, and and the sin that he bore right he crushed Christ on the cross when when uh, Christ yells out and says uh, my God my God why have you forsaken me the father 
the father literally turned his back right. on Christ, separated himself from Christ. Um, so I would say that the, the, the cross is not simply just that, that he died. It, it's what was happening cosmically when he when he died. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think that's what I, was, I think that's what I was trying to explain. And, and how I'm thinking about it is on worldly, I would say, a worldly illustration. Um, because being that if there's if there's people who are being saved before Jesus dies on the cross, then clearly that that payment has not been made yet. Um, so clearly that that blood being shed is not what's saving them specifically. Just because a man's you know dropping a couple drops of blood and granted with Christ there's a whole entire body that was being dripping um, I guess what I was trying to explain there is that Jesus didn't die yet but they were saved so um, I think I'm really trying to say the same thing as you're saying just mm -hmm. putting because a little more complexity cross, to that the cross sits at the pinnacle of time right so who uh, how how are we saved this side of the cross well were saved by his death. And how were they saved on that side of the cross? By his death. Right. Um, so, I guess, I don't know, if you want to put it, um, I guess the way I would say it is, okay, I'm Abraham, I've gone up to heaven, you know, I didn't, uh, there's, I don't know this Jesus guy, or I didn't see, I didn't see this death on the cross, how am I saved here? It says, don't worry, I'm going to take your sins, you know, give me a couple thousand years. I'll go ahead and take care of it. Um, I, I guess that's really, I, I don't know, it, it sounds really corny to say it that way, to be honest. Well, no, I, I think i think the, the answer there, the answer there is, is that God had made provision for Abraham, and he made provision for all the Old Testament saints. He made provision for Israel. That's what, uh, you know, that was the, the whole idea behind sacrifice. Mm-hmm. The whole idea behind sacrifice was not simply because God liked to see animals die. The, the point behind the sacrifice was that they would offer these sacrifices in order to, res, uh, in order to uh, set right, set themselves right before, uh, before God. Yeah. Uh, so when you get into, when you get into, um, you know, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, you begin to see that the blood that was was shed was on the Day of Atonement, was taken, and was sprinkled on the people. So Christ is all, God had already made provision uh, through the shedding of blood to have his people be in relationship with him. So they are still they're still saved the same way we are. Right. Um, but a more perfect sacrifice was given in Jesus Christ. So there's not a difference in the way that God has saved. God didn't change that, um, didn't change salvation because he, the Hebrew writer says the, uh, there was, there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Right. And that's been true all the way through the scripture. Um, but when, when Christ came, all of a sudden we have a we have a new high priest. Right. He makes the he being the Lamb of God, is shed. His blood is shed. 
being the perfect sacrifice without blemish, without spot. Um, and then he enters into God's glory. He enters into the Father's glory. And what the priests were not able to do before, and that is enter the, the Holy of Holies and sit down. Right. Christ sat down. And that sitting down is significant because in that sitting down, Christ is saying, Father, the work is done. Right. So now no more sacrifice has to be made. Yeah. Now, this is a question I have. Uh, my, to my understanding, I feel like we're kind of digressing a little bit, but it's on point still. Um, the sacrifice, from my understanding, was, uh, or I guess you could probably go with the laws. Um, Old Testament laws was really to show man that you can't keep these, that you, you know, you need me for that righteousness. Meanwhile, the sacrifice was, uh, to my understanding, was done as a means to, um, to really show that there's an innocent creature dying for your disgustingness, for your sins. Um, so it was a means for the people to really see this. I don't know how else to describe Correct. that. It's the, the reflection of, I'm right. sacrificing this lamb, I'm sacrificing this dove, whatever else other animal that you got to throw up there on the altar. I'm sacrificing this. It does not deserve this. Uh, and being that it's a, it's a creature, it's not God, so it does have you know its flaws of some sorts. It does not sin, of course. You know, But... Um, it being a reflection of, I deserve this, of what they didn't. And likewise, Christ himself being the spotless lamb, doing the same thing. I'm taking this. I don't deserve it. You do. But I'm going to do it anyways. Right. Now, one of the things um, I'm, I was curious about, uh, I heard um, that the sacrifices, at least with Old Testament, was to be was a means to push God's judgment back a year. Uh, is there anything that you can give to, to relate to that? What do you mean by uh, was to push God's judgment. Well, um, I heard this from one gentleman. I We didn't have too much time. Uh, I was at work. Uh, he actually works uh, uh, at work with me, but um, he, he, he mentioned that, and I, I haven't really done enough study on it to, to get into where he found that information. But that's that's yeah. honestly all I can give you, is he was saying that the sacrifice okay. in the Old Testament was a means to push God's judgment back another year. Um, that's, that's well, God's judgment, was, God's judgment was always... God judged Israel, right. um, even though the sacrifices were given. Um, uh, I mean, that's what the that's what the Book of Judges is all about. Is book, that is that God God judged, and the whole we can read it from from the inception of the nation of Israel um, uh, to the coming of the Messiah. We can see God um, even with their sacrifices, even with the temple. Uh, we can see that God still judged. So I don't see within the biblical narrative that it pushed God's judgment back okay. in any way. Um, because God judges who he judges and when he judges. Um, so, but what it was, what the sacrifices were, is God's God laying out and saying, Israel, if you're going to have a relationship with me, this is what I require. Right. And because God is holy, because of his holiness, he provided a way for the nation of Israel, for the Israelites, to to be pure in his sight. Mm -hmm. And that's what, the, that's what the sacrifice is for. That's what the Day of Atonement was for. So all we've been talking about is 
is the nature of the atonement, right? What is what happens at the atonement? Uh, uh, what with the atonement? What what took place? Now here's the question: If Jesus was just a man, if Jesus was just a man, what? Would his would his death on the cross be of any effect? Uh, no, uh, you know I think you actually commented on this in the past. Um, uh, yeah, it was. I don't remember when. Uh, I don't know. One of our conversations, you you, you kind of explained that a little bit better. Right. Um, but no, because if he's if he's just a man, then you know he's limited in his perfection. Uh, he does right. ha- he is capable of sin. He does have sin. Um, and you know, therefore he can't be, uh, he can't be that perfect, uh, spotless land that is demanded. Um, mm-hmm. nor can, you know, even if he is a God or it is not God, if he's just a man, then really everything that we see in the new Testament is done in vain. No, absolutely. And, it, and this, this is the point that I think, um, is, is clearly brought out in Matthew chapter one, verse 21. It says, she shall bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now notice, notice, they don't say, it doesn't say that he will save the whole world from their sins. He will save everybody from his, from their sins. It says he will save his people from their sins. Right. Um, oh, go ahead, Bill. No, well, um, I was kind of hoping to share my thoughts on that a little bit later because i got a whole list here i don't even know if there's a specific order i was sharing on that but yeah i mean that's i think those are really key words to point out like um there's one uh i mean we can say that jesus died for all however he did not die for all in the same way um and before i actually share that point i want to go back and add on to what you were talking about about his people um Mm -hmm. let me make sure i have this comment right okay uh, john chapter 17 Verse 8 uh, through 10. This is uh, the high the priestly, high priestly prayer. prayer. Yeah. Yep. And uh, this comes from, I said, verse 8 through 10. It says, For I have given them uh, the words that you gave me. In other words, the, uh, however you want to word that, what you taught me, what you've delivered me, what you wanted me to say, I've given them. I relayed the message. Uh, yep. They have received them, and they have come to know the truth. And I want to you know, point that out. They have received, they have heard the words goes back to what I shared last week. I am the good shepherd. Uh, those uh, who believe in me hear my voice. So they receive the word of God. They heard it, not just audible, but they've accepted it. Uh, they've received it and have come to know the truth that I came from you. So they've testified Jesus is Lord. And they have believed that you sent me. They believe mm-hmm. I am God. I am praying for them. And I want to mm-hmm. stop right there. There's That's the first piece here is I am praying for them. Who are you praying for? Well, I'm praying for everybody that believes in me. I'm praying for everybody that's heard my word. I'm praying for everybody that's received it and accepted it. I'm praying everybody who knows the truth. I'm praying for everybody that believes that I am truly the son of God. These are the people I'm praying for. And continuing, so said, continuing on in this is uh, Jesus himself praying this prayer continues. And he says, I am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me yep so there's a separation right there it says this prayer so this prayer i'm giving 
for you to be there with them. This is not for the entire cosmos. This is for specifically the people you have set apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it says, for they are yours. These people are God's people. Uh, and verse 10, it says, all mine are yours and yours are mine. And through this, I am glorified in them. And again, I think that's important too. I am glorified in them. And who? And the sinners and the wicked and the saints and the rebels and the pagans? No, I'm glorified in the believers, the redeemed, the holy. <laughs> so um, that alone, and, and these are straight from the words of Christ. So I, I, I was really tickled about this when I was putting these together. I did have to obviously limit what I had to say. Um, well, but let uh, me ask you a question then. Okay. Because I think that we found a contradiction. Okay. Is this Mr. Arminian coming out? Uh, could be, yeah. Very well could be. Okay, don't respond to that when I have water in my mouth. So. Especially at a computer. <laughs> so Jesus says in his high priestly prayer, I am not praying for the world, but for those, for those whom you have given me, uh, for they are yours. All mine, uh, all mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Uh, John 17. But, but hold on. But doesn't, but doesn't uh, Jesus say, uh, for God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life? He, he, he talks about the world right here. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then John also, in uh, 1 John 2, 2. Uh, let me go to 1 John 2, 2. Okay, come on, Byron. Get to First John 2, 2. You got all those little millions of really, really thin pages you got to flip there. Yeah, I, I really do. <laughs> okay. Um, so, First John 2, 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things uh, to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Hold on. Not for our sins only. Also for the whole world. Okay. Well, interesting, interesting, interesting. So we've got Jesus saying, I'm not praying for the whole world. I'm only praying for those who have given me. But John has recorded two other accounts. Where Christ has died for the world. First John, he says, he didn't die for just us, but for the whole world. Right. Well, and so I want to... What do you do? I, well, before I answer that, I actually want to add to that. You know, you say, I, I, I see your first John, and I'm going to actually raise you first Timothy. Um, but before we get into that, regarding, uh, first, uh, regarding John chapter 3, like you said, it is true, God so loved the world, but that's... I don't really see that... That doesn't really tell you that Jesus died for everybody. That just says that God loved the world. Um, and then, you know, if we continue on in that, which we, you know, shared this a couple weeks ago, not send his uh, son into the world to judge or to condemn the world, but to uh, save it or so that might, the world might be saved through him. And there's, okay, there's the, uh, I would say, the universal salvation uh, that the world might be saved through him. Okay, there's hope. There's hope that the entire world can be saved. God wants every, the whole entire world to be saved. There's the logic. Mm-hmm. 
However, 18, continuing on in that, and you actually, I think, believe you pointed this out to me, um, is the idea that this is really the, the division, that this this specific passage really goes to show that separation. And I've, I've heard this word, this verse so many different times, and I'd never put it together. <laughs> I never saw it as a Calvinistic point of view. Anyways, like I said here in 18, whoever believes in him, again, there's the condition, there that whoever <laughs> believes in him is not condemned. What is con condemnation? Well, that's uh, judgment. That is the punishment for your sins. That is lack of salvation. They are mm -hmm. not condemned. In other words, they are saved. But whoever does not believe, there is again the separation. There's the other people. Whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has mm -hmm. not believed in the name of the Son of God, uh, the only the only Son of God. So that alone, it starts off with the idea. Well, God so loved the world that he gave his 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 Son that the whole world would be saved. But reading on in the the statement, you see that there is a separation now. We see the whole world, and like you were saying there, um, I, I can't remember word for word. Let me actually, 1 John 2, 2 is what it was. 1 John 2, 2. Uh, yes. He is a propitiation for our sins, not only in ours, but also the sins of the whole world. So, here's my raise. 1 Timothy 4.10. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people. Okay, stop right there. Again, that goes back to that argument that Jesus died for the entire, the entire universe, everybody. Mm -hmm. However, the next piece here, especially those who believe. So how, I think this, I think this verse really ties in 1 John 2.2. 2. Um, and, uh, well, 1 John 2.2, 2, and I guess we'd say John chapter 3 could go in there as well. Um, because both of them say that uh, he is the savior of all people, or, or they emphasize a global or universal concept. However, when Timothy brings up this, especially who those believe, then there's really the question that comes into play. To a certain degree, yes, Jesus did die for all. However, and I think I may have discussed this with you in the past, um, this was a means of common grace. And there's really nothing biblical that I can give you to support this theory. Uh, but my theory is that if Jesus did not die, then the world as we know it would not exist. And we, you know, I, I, we would be completely wicked because God's hand would be taken off from the people. We'd be lost to our own ways, handed over to our wickedness, and thus everybody would be deserving of judgment. Why? Because Jesus did not die on the cross. So there's the issue there. However, Jesus did die on the cross, and how I see it is when he did die on the cross, at least in the sense of a global salvation, this was a means to, I don't want to, I don't want to say this, uh, uh, coming off, uh, it seems like it's going to come off wrong, to put off judgment um, to an extent. Uh, this is, what I mean is a common grace uh, because there are people who will be saved in the future because Christ did die on the cross. Um, I feel like I'm kind of exaggerated on this. Feel free to correct me on this if you need to. But we have um, the salvation provided to all people is the means of the provisions in which God has given us. It is the sun that shines on us. It is the rain that falls, the crops mm -hmm. that grow, and everything that every human being has in common. 
in that sense that Jesus died for all people. He died so that we could all experience at some level the grace of God. However, this next piece here in 1 Timothy 10, 4.10 tells us especially those who believe. So Timothy 2, he's making a distinction between the non-believers and the believers. Everybody has a level of grace, but a saving grace, this is only for those who believe. Now, I looked up the word especially, and we know this, we can pull this off in our, dic our, uh, our English language. It's pretty obvious, you know, some parallels with this, but uh, malista is the Greek pronunciation of that and it refers to, or the usages of it is uh, especially, that's kind of obvious there, chiefly. And I think this one really fits, fits uh, best, uh, in my opinion, most of all. I think we could uh, probably get away with rewording this to say that, and most of all, those who believe. So we as believers, as Christians, we have a certain addition uh, to our uh, to the sacrifice that was made. We don't just have the common grace; we've got saving grace, um, and and that is how I'd really harmonize uh, the two. Both First First uh, Timothy four and First John chapter two is he did die for all, but he also did die for many. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Um, so, I I will go back to, uh, I believe it's Revelation 13. Um, Revelation 13, and, and it talks about, let me see if I can, if I can find this here. Um, so, it's the last book of your Bible. No, I, I, I got that. Thank you. <laughs> mm. um, so let me see if I can. See if I know what I'm looking for here. Does this have anything uh, to do oh, with the Okay, so, so in, in Revelation 13, 8. Okay. Um, and all who dwell on earth... Uh, will worship uh, will worship it everyone whose name is has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb that was slain uh, revelation 17 8 uh, and the dweller on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was not uh, because it was and is not and is to come okay so so this this question that we have there at the bottom of the screen did Jesus die uh, for all or many um, no why because before the foundation of the world all those who would be saved were written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, there's a huge misconception here. And a huge misconception that people say, well, he's adding to the names in the book of life. No, 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 no. No names are being added to the book of life. All whom will be saved are already in the Lamb's book of life. Right from the foundation from the very beginning so now 
Now, take, in, take that. Now we get into the first century. We get into uh, Jesus' time, uh, breaking into the first century. Uh, and you have Jesus on the cross. You have Jesus on the cross. And Jesus is securing... Uh, is securing his people's redemption, right? Now, according to Revelation 13 and Revelation 17, 8, according there, all who are going to be saved are already written in that book. So Jesus, at that point on Golgotha, on the cross, when he says, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, it is finished. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is essentially saying, all of those who have been written in the Lamb's book of life, at the foundation of the world, I have died for them. The death is complete. Right. So, who did Jesus die for? He died for those that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Not one more and not one less. Right. Now, so Jesus' atonement is very, very limited. Right. That's why I call it, instead of limited atonement, I call it uh, what most theologians call particular redemption. Okay. Well, and there's a, a point you mentioned uh, that the Arminian, uh, or anybody, well, I guess it would be the Arminian, would argue that, well, he's continued to write their names down. There's really nothing to suggest, uh, to my knowledge, in the scriptures that... God is adding to that. No, All we have here not. is that there's a book and God wrote the names down. It doesn't say he's writing as in present tense or future Correct. tense, but that they have already been written. So that's an important piece to point out too when uh, uh, when this is brought up. Now, and I also want to argue that, or not argue this, but I want to share, um, I shared this a little bit at the beginning of, uh, but actually before we got started, um, the, the concept of forgiveness, because we, we think that uh, forgiveness is um, the means that everybody's been forgiven. And this goes with the heart, Armenian, Armenian aspect. Okay, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of all of mankind. Everybody's been forgiven. And I, I've actually asked a gentleman this, and I was really puzzled. I, I was like, I don't understand what you're saying. So I asked the question, okay, if Jesus died for the sins of all people, if all people have been forgiven, then what's the point of hell? Uh, the response, and this was like two three years ago, so I might be a little rusty on the uh, uh, how exact it was, but the response was, well, they're in hell because they don't believe in Jesus. So, <clears throat> putting this into play, <clears throat> let's say hypothetically, everybody that's ever existed has been forgiven. Then we have to look at what the definition of forgiveness is. I would strongly recommend nobody go to psychologists to get this information because they're going to give you some sort of happy, it's all about me uh, speech to justify forgiveness. However, when we look at forgiveness biblically, and here's a definition I have uh, for those of you who are watching this, Byron, I shared this with you. Um, the illustrated, uh, ba the Baker Illustrated Bible Dictionary. I don't want to say it's got every word, but it's got a lot. And one of the pieces here is forgiveness. <clears throat> According to this, uh, uh, this text here, the terminology for forgiveness, uh, there's uh, two segments here. 
God forgives by removing the guilt from transgressors and hereby releasing them from their deserving penalty. In other words, those who are guilty, God makes innocent. And if he makes you innocent, you are in the kingdom of God. There's no need for hell. Um, or there's no need for you to go to hell. Why? Because you're innocent, according to God's standards. Now, further on here, in uh, this is a uh, fast forward on in this text here, referring to the New Testament uh, usage. Uh, other terms such as, which I don't even know how to pronounce this, par parasis, which refers to passing over, found in uh, Romans 3:25. Uh, further extend the idea of God's forgiveness, debt, and I want to stop right there, debt, that's, your, that's referring to your sins. You sinned, a debt has to be paid, um, somebody has to pay for your sins. You, you've accumulated, if you want to take the narrative of the unforgiving servant, you've got a, a, a huge amount of wealth that needs to be paid back, uh, and this is what you owe God. But it extends the idea of God's forgiveness the debt, your sins, are canceled. So, if everybody is forgiven, again, that goes back to the idea that nobody is in hell. Nobody needs to be in hell because everybody's been forgiven. We've been, we were guilty at one point, but we've made, been made innocent from Christ taking that guilt on the cross of our penalty. Um... So yeah, I, I guess I'm going to stop right there with that specific issue of uh, forgiveness. I'm currently writing a long book, hoping it's a new long book, uh, very detailed on that. But um, the bottom line with that is uh, forgiveness itself is the release of any and all guilt, transgressions, and sin. So, mm -hmm. um, at least on that specific issue, that's all I got. Do you have any other comments before we uh, continue? Which... Which that for, that forgiveness is that forgiveness for all or for many? By this definition, this yeah. would be what's that? Yeah, by that definition. Yeah, um, yeah, by this definition, this would be uh, this would be many, because if if he's removing the guilt and making the uh, re releasing these individuals of the deserved penalty this person, this individual, is no longer going to, destined to hell, but they are destined to eternal life in the kingdom of God. Right. So, so, so here's, here's, the, here's, here's the deal. If we say that Christ died for all, right? And when we, when we say Christ died for all, we mean that there were, that he died for their sins, mm -hmm. right? He um, he died so that they, uh, so that their sins would be covered and they could stand in right relationship to, to him. Right. So if Christ died for all, and this is going on, on, on your point, Bill, then those sins have been, have already been forgiven at the cross. Okay. Mm -hmm. And those who don't believe, those who never come to believe, their sins are forgiven, right? So then they go to hell because they don't believe. That's double jeopardy. Right. That is, that is double jeopardy because Christ has paid for their sin on the cross. They didn't believe, so then they have to pay for their sin 
again in hell. Folks, this is not, that is not forgiveness. That is not forgiveness. So when, we're, when we say that sins were forgiven at the cross, the whole world's sins were not forgiven at the cross. And I would say not even many sins were forgiven at the cross. Unless you mean by many that those who were written in the Lamb's book of life. So forgiveness itself is limited. Right. It, it is that, that that's the extent. That's what we mean by the extent of the atonement. That it was efficacious. Mm, bit my tongue when I said that. It was efficacious only for some. That forgiveness, that blood was only applied for some. Because it is horrendous to think of the opposite implication. Right. That Christ died for all, so he shed his blood for all. And human beings now have the, the, uh, the free will to walk and tread over the blood of Christ by rejecting his mercy and right. his grace, by rejecting the gift of salvation. Yeah. That is where I find it abominable for the Arminian. Well, and, and that's not only is that a slap in the face to, to Christ, but it's also to say that what he did on the cross was done in vain. Um, but, well, the, well it, it's limiting the it's limiting the effect of the of it. Right. He, he you say he died for all, but some of his blood is wasted because not all are saved. Right. Well, and this also brings me back to uh, these points that I shared with you um, before we got started here. And uh, I'm glad we actually went over this. Otherwise, it would have been very confusing. Uh, so this first point here is that Christ, the, the claim is Christ died all the sin, for all the sins of all men. If this is true, why are not all men free from the punishment due to their sins? And I, I don't want us to go over these too much, but I just want to share these points here. Get, you know, really get people thinking about this. Um, why are, if, if it is true that Jesus, in fact, did die for all the sins... Why are not all men free from the punishment of their sins? Which, again, I think we discuss here with uh, the concept of forgiveness I was explaining. Uh, number two here, the, there's an idea that, that all the sin of some men. And this, uh, if this is to be true, if the second is true, then Christ in their stead suffered, in their is it stead or steed, S-T-E-A-D, in their stead suffered, I think it's stead, in their stead suffered for all the sins of all the elect of the whole world, and this is the truth. That's the claim. That's what you know. What we're claiming here. He died for all of the sins of some men. However, there's a third point here. It says uh, the the claim could be that some sins of some men. In other words, you could have Byron over there that only half of his sins have been forgiven. You know, like myself, only half of my sins have been forgiven. Anybody else that's uh, listening to this, only half of your sins have been forgiven. If that was true, then we still do have some sins that are not answered for. And then if that is the case, we are still guilty. We are still deserving of penalty for our sins. And thus, nobody on a single planet here is saved. So, um, I, and I, I got to say, is that this, uh, this doctrine alone, um, I mean, I guess it really ties in together... <laughs> 
ironically, which is what we're discussing here, the doctrine of grace. I mean, it really ties in. But it's really concerning that we, we as, uh, that we have these doctrines uh, floating around the church. And um, I, was I don't even think I read the entire thing. Let me see if I have it up so I can give you the title. I have a tendency to open up articles in my browser on my phone, and I completely forget about them and plan on going back to them later, but I always forget about them. Um, well, and I do not have this one. There's one I was reading that was referring to um, the uh, theologies uh, of the church. Let me see if I shared this real quick. Um, I don't even think I did. Oh, here it is. The, the, the title of this article unsound teaching produces unsound churches so and that i think that really can apply to this this argument is and, and i find this to be concerning I, I believe we've talked about this on and off over the past uh, the, the purpose of these ministries is because we have these doctrines that might sound nice they might sound good they might sound noble and true However, there's a huge danger behind that, um, much like this one here, when we accept this idea that Christ did, in fact, quote-unquote, uh, die for the sins of all people, then there's absolutely, one, there's no reason for us to repent and be forgiven, or to ask for forgiveness, because all our sins have been forgiven, and, you know, like we've already said, there's no need for hell, because all the sins are forgiven. So, um, yeah, no, absolutely. to have that really floating around... Uh, in the churches, uh, I'll be completely honest, it scares me. Uh, and forgive, uh, we don't exactly have the best censorship, but it scares the hell out of me that we have these going on in our churches uh, today. Um, and it's not to say that our churches are, are that you know all churches are in error or will be judged uh, accordingly or any other variations you want to give, but that we live in a world, I was thinking about this just the other day, you go back, um, oh, let's just say a couple hundred years and you can even go back all the way back to uh, the establishment of what we know today as the Christian faith. Uh, they were more than happy to expose heresies, to confront heresies, to confront truths. And yet today we live in society that everybody has an opinion and everybody's right. And even among the churches that, you know, we don't have to have the best theology, but as long as we've got theology, we're doing right. As long as we have, you know, some understanding, then, you know, we're a good church. But yet the danger behind that, if I tell you that 2 plus 2, in fact, equals 20, or 22, or whatever else you want to go with, or, you know, you mix the color blue together and the color red together, and you're going to get yellow, um, it, it sounds nice, but it's wrong. And I go ahead and teach that to somebody else, that person is going to believe it. Uh, they're going to go teach that off to somebody else and they're going to believe it and they're going to believe it. Next thing you know, you've got the, the worst kind of church out there. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, that, that is very, very, very concerning. Um, and unfortunately, this is something that uh, believers have to deal with on a daily basis as we come across mm -hmm. these things. The, 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 doctrine of, the doctrines of grace uh, that we've been going over... Um, People need to understand that, that these things, uh, to when you reject them, when you reject them, uh, you are making a statement about the nature of God. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to I want to read uh, real quick um, some 
uh, passage, John 6, uh, 35 through 40. Uh, and this is, this is talking um, Jesus fulfilling an eternal covenant. Uh, but in John 6, 35 through 40, uh, Jesus, uh, it, it says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that, uh, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but rise, uh, raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Um, so, you know, and then John six forty four he goes on and says um, that nobody comes to the Father unless, or nobody comes to me unless... Uh, uh, the father, you know, the draws, father him. draws him. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, we we barely we've barely scratched the surface uh, of of the scriptures that um, that ooze of uh, of this particular redemption is. Uh, um, so, for, is that a biblical term? Ooze. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so, in Romans 5, uh, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, and so the death spread to all men, because all sinned, if because of one man's trespasses, death uh, reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life, uh, through the one man Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Uh, for as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Now, people go, well, yeah, but he said many. He said many, and see this. That's this is the point that I want to I want to make to to people. When when you go and you're doing these type of things, and, and again, we didn't even we didn't even touch you know the the surface of all the biblical passages that should be talked about. But um, when you go to formulate your your theology whether for or against the doctrines of grace um, be sure that you read the whole counsel of God mm -hmm. uh, be sure that you are uh, bringing those things uh, those passages that may say elect and some say many some say the world you know make sure you bring all of those scriptures in harmony with one another right. Um, and and do do the hard work of the of the exegesis that needs to be done. What we suffer with 
today within this debate is people that want to uh, piggyback on other people and, and provide their arguments, but they have not done the hard exegesis that needs to be done. For example, I became I became reformed in my thinking because I looked at these I looked at these issues and I put I put all of my theology books aside and I went to my scriptures and I and the question before me was were these particular doctrines right and I walked through them and what does what does the scripture say here and after about 3 years I realized that the doctrines of grace are simply biblical theology. Mm -hmm. It is, and that's why Stephen Lawson says, if if you reject Reformed theology, you just don't, you don't know your Bible. Right. You don't know your Bible because it's all here. Yeah, and I think what that we can kind of close up here. We're getting short on time, um, but I think that that's the biggest struggle is is we claim these these doctrines or so called doctrines that are not uh, in the scriptures. Um, one, it's what we've always been taught, and you know, just taking for an example, you know, we reading one book as one book or one verse as one book, one verse. For example, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. There you have it, folks. There's our answer. Um, but like you said, we need to harmonize it with other elements. Uh, we took First uh, Timothy, we took First John, we took Revelations. Um, scripture is not to be read um, as a singular book alone. Um, don't just read the the Gospel of John and there's your there's your theology. Don't just read Revelation. Don't just read Genesis and keep them separate. All of them tie in together. Uh, you know the phrase itself. I think would suit is that Scripture supports Scripture, um, mm -hmm. and, and that's what we can find here. It says if if you see it this way, well, how does this how does this match up? How can we harmonize that? So. Um, we'll have to probably uh, do that uh, in the future, you know, how, how we can go to uh, dissect that, how, how we can properly interpret the scriptures. I think that'd be a good discussion. So, um, I think, let me look at this. I've got too many books floating around here. Currently preparing uh, for uh, the next study over Genesis I'm preparing for, and everything else is on my desk. Just double checking here. Uh, I believe that's really all I personally had. Uh, yeah, that's that's really all my only comments that I had to share. Cool. So, do you have any uh, closing thoughts you want to throw out there? Uh, no, that, that those were my closing my closing thoughts. Awesome. Well, Byron, I appreciate this. Um, and for those of you who are watching this, uh, thank you for joining in. And uh, a little late on paying attention to this. Gregory posted a comment. Let me read this here real quick. Uh, glad I have my laptop here. Doctrine of baptismal regeneration. Uh, Church of Christ said this. You are correct. We should never isolate verses. Okay, there we go. So it's just affirming that. So, um, yeah. Uh, Gregory, I apologize for getting back to you. I don't know when you joined, when you chimed in. But uh, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Byron, thank you. I'll see you all next so, week. Till next week. All right, everybody, I want to thank, thank you guys for chiming in and watching the show, listening to what we have here. 
Um, and this was the what is known as the doctrine, or I'm sorry, the limited atonement. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything that you might have, feel free to put us in the comments of the video. Feel free to get up us, get a hold of us on Facebook Messenger. Email us at ChristianCornerstone.org. Now, if you'd like to support this ministry, again, like, share, subscribe, and even financially support this ministry as well. It'll help to offset these costs in which we have to run this ministry. Without further ado, I want to thank you guys for joining the party, and until next week, you take care.